Ash. You're really just going to stare at me. <laughs> stare daggers where, into my eyes. Where are we going with as this I, one? It's like, get ready to open the show. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what is up, everyone? Yes. That's how we're going. That's where we're going. It is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. The guy staring daggers at me is Canucks insider Thomas Trance, my co-host, who also covers the team for The Athletic. Canucks talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech. <laughs> Dot net 650 650. I'm gonna have to gather myself. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're just like on the edge of your seat. Like, what's he gonna say? What's he gonna say? <laughs> well, I started curious and then you like took a little bit. Yeah, so then I was like, I is delayed. he gonna start talking? <laughs> what's going and on then, here? And then uh, and then I just couldn't help it. I just started laughing, uh, which is often my response to uh, uncomfortable situations. <laughs> it happens. Uh, by the <laughs> that way, that was a killer intro. Well I, done. Uh, yeah, listen, Nailed listen, it. Professional. <laughs> Um, I was very uh, happy to see you. you. You wouldn't have noticed you were at the game on Saturday. I was watching at home, and uh, during the broadcast, uh, I forget which gambling company it is, but Jamie Foxx is in the ad, and he begins it by saying, what's up? <laughs> and I was like, that's right. That's right. If Jamie Foxx, if it's good enough for Jamie Foxx on a nationally televised adver- advertisement, it's good enough for me. If it's good enough for Ray Charles. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> That's as cool as it gets. That's as cool um, as it gets. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. So I, I uh, Steam and Willie Beeman approved. I am even more committed <laughs> than I ever have been. My faith has not been shaken whatsoever to saying what's up. Um, so, so speaking of gambling. Yes. Because I want to talk about this a little bit. All right. You know. As I like to reiterate at least twice a week on this program, I don't bet on hockey. But I do pay close attention because I think covering the game requires, if you're covering the Canucks, right, who's your number one obligation to? Your number one obligation is obviously to the hardcore fans Mm -hmm. who follow this team and live and die by every single lineup decision. Noah Juleson's in the lineup? Like, if you're the type of person who has a strong take on Noah Juleson being in the lineup tonight, you're number one on the list of people that I care about. But, like, number two is anyone casual who's coming to the game, buying a ticket, you know what I mean, just wants to understand what the lineup is or, um, you know, want, wants to, like, follow the game a little bit while they're out doing something else on, on Twitter. Sure, yeah. And then number three is anyone else watching, national, right, anyone else watching, number three. For a not insignificant portion of the viewership of Saturday night's game, Niels Hoaglander's thoroughly inconsequential triple deflection goal with nine seconds to go was probably the most exciting emotional roller coaster goal of the Canucks season to this point, right? And the reason is is that the over for that game was set at six and a half. So if you had the under and the Canucks take the ice with Demko on the bench and their absolute best players, although Hoaglander in Kuzmenko's spot, late in that game, you're like, oh man, two and a half minutes yeah. where all the um why am I forgetting who they played? They played the Kraken. The Kraken. All that the Kraken have to do is put it, put it into an empty net. Or, you know, this outrageous collection of talent, the th- NHL's three leading scorers need to put one past Philip Grubauer. They have two minutes to do it. And you survive two minutes of that game state. And then the fourth line comes on. And Demko gets returned Demko's to the net. in the net, yeah. So if you have the over, you're like, 
no! And if you have the under, you're like, phew. You're spending the money. And then, yeah, you're, you're already reinvesting. And then for it to flip with a triple deflection, like a triple doink, goal past Philip Grubauer by Niels Hoaglander. Like, that was such a hilarious moment um, within the game if you were tracking those stakes. It's why we do it, and it's why as we sit here today in preparation for the ultimate get-right game, mm. a home game for the Canucks against a moribund San Jose Sharks side, the Canucks are plus 390 on the money line. Might, 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 minus. Or, minus, minus. Yeah. Minus 390 on the money line. It might go down with news that Demko's starting. To minus 400. That's an 80% probability. 80% implied probability that the Canucks will win tonight. You almost never see that. That's like a college football money line. Yeah. It's you know, wild. like, come on. Yeah. Well, and, you know, that goal, the, the Hoaglander goal, it, great moments in backdoor covers right there, right? And you don't get as many of those, I think, in hockey as you do in football especially, right? Mm. Where so many people are keyed in uh, as well to the, uh, the lines and the overs in football. But that was a good one. And I got to say, I mean – I watched. I was watching that game, and I thought about the over, and then I also thought about okay, they're going to drop the puck here with ten seconds. If the Canucks tie this one up, they are like, they they are truly God's team well, at that point. You know what I mean? Like they are the most blessed team of all this this year's Canucks if they tied that game. One up. thing that's got to be said is they win the draw, they get a yep. shot off on. They Grubauer, did a great job. It goes off. They get their own offensive zone draw, and they get another shot. Did they manufacture a scoring chance in the last ten seconds? No, but did they give themselves? Just about as good a chance as you could possibly yeah. have in that game state. Heck yeah. When you did. think about all that Seattle has to do from that point on is like one deflection, one muddled face. You know what I mean? Like there's so it's so many ways that Seattle can just easily derail that, and they didn't. And the Canucks managed to get in the zone and take a shot. It was pretty impressive. So I, I, this is digression zone again. Yeah, okay? that's fine. Excuse me. Um, probably the number one reason why I decided to get into hockey writing mm-hmm. and like really do it in a dedicated way was following the 2010-11 Canucks as a Canucks fan myself who was also like deep into uh, hockey analytics sure. messaging yep. boards <laughs> and I was I remember watching I'll always remember watching the 2011 Stanley Cup final as all Canucks fans will and one thing that really bothered me about the analysis of it beyond the morality play stuff that I thought was completely uncalled for uh, outrageous yep. and and you know the casting of those Bruins players given you know, with the exception of Bergeron, basically, given, like, what what's happened over the decades since versus the Twins and Luongo as the bad guys. Like, man, has that take aged badly for all the hockey media that indulged it. But one thing that really annoyed me was the Canucks win two games and they're, like, exceptionally tight. An overtime win and a goal with seven seconds to go. Mm-hmm. Both one-goal wins. And the series shifts back to Boston. Everyone's like, the Canucks are going to win. And I'm like, man, this series has been way closer than what I'd expected coming in. And then, of course, the Canucks get blown out twice on Bruins ice, and everyone's like, well, it's over. It's done. (laughs) The Canucks aren't going to recover from that. Then they win game five, Uh and it's like, it's done again. Canucks have got this. They just need to do it in game six. And then they get blown out. It was like every every time the wind blowed, everyone switched their entire take on what the team was. And I don't think we're there. Because the Canucks have lost two in a row. But it does feel a little bit like the air puncture yeah, balloon. And what I've started to see is people start to dev- cut the season up, right? And I know, and I'm not pointing yeah. fingers at Donnie and Dolly, but I know they ran the poll. Like, hey, are they the team that 
uh, started with whatever record of a team that's lost three of the last five. And I've seen other people do it. Like, well, if you look at this segment of the schedule, you know, it looks really good. But if you look we at this segment, it We don't have enough bad. to do arbitrary it's, endpoints. You just got to look at the whole thing. Yeah. Right? You got to take all of the information we have. You can't – I think it was unfair – at the beginning when it was like, oh, well, yeah, they have this record, but, you know, it's done it against a soft schedule and, uh, you know, they lost the two games against Philly and Tampa. If you include those, it's not as good, right? Like, just we've got to take the whole sample here. Yeah, right? we don't have enough. We've got to take it. The, the games that they We're won. We're still thirsty for more. The games that they won and looked great in doing it count just as much as the underwhelming performances in the last couple of games. Still, yeah. Right? You can't let that. Now, I'm not saying there's no – Warning signs, red flags, things to improve on. Of course, we can get into those, but it doesn't erase all of the good things they'd done previously in the season. No, and it's, you know, when the Canucks were riding high at the absolute apex of the Pacific Division, right, my line pretty consistently on the show was the most I've done is uptick them like two or three points yeah. based on my preseason expectations of where this club's true talent was. I thought they were low 90s. I think they're mid-90s. Losing two in a row to Calgary and Seattle – it's a missed opportunity. Like, you really had a chance to, to put your boot down on, on some Pacific Division drivers. Uh, those are four-point games. The Canucks have dropped them. Those teams now have a little more wind in their sails, and maybe that matters in a month or six weeks if one of those teams can get hot. Maybe it doesn't, though, right? Maybe this team's just fine. This is like a small gully. Yep. And I honestly think there's more reason to, to look at this club and think whale team pretty good than there is or just will team good outright, then there is, like, real cause for concern. Now, in particular, right, when when we say this, like, why have why have we sort of upgraded our expectation of this team? Well, number one, they banked enough points that it's going to take something pretty cataclysmic. Yeah. I don't see, you know, Susie's absence for six to eight weeks as being cataclysmic. It's troublesome, right? They're, it's going to test certain things around this team in terms of their the, their, the depth on their blue line. But it's not the sort of thing that fundamentally alters what this team is. When you combine the power play with my belief that Thatcher Demko is a high-end goaltender, uh, I think a belief we should all share. Um, and and then I'd add this, a, a bottom six that doesn't really have, like their bottom six forward group doesn't really have a, a true weak link. You know, like everyone's, sure. everyone's playable. That gives them a huge, uh, like a hugely high floor despite the you know issues occasionally on defense um you combine those three strengths and and i just think this team has a lot of different ways to win enough games even if they're getting outshot regularly even if their top six forward group is flagging at five on five the way they absolutely have been for the last 10 games um you know i still see there being enough potency that this team even like from here to the end of the year ros rest of season I still think this team's going to perform at the level of a bona fide playoff team. And, and you know, I think getting concerned beyond that, um, I don't think that's called for based on uh, what we've seen. Yeah, and I've seen some people look at, in particular, I think the game against Seattle on Saturday and, you know, some of the defensive miscues well, that ended up in goals. Worth, that's worth Well, but I've seen some people be – and. And I, I get why this happens, right? Because we just watched two seasons of hockey where there were an awful lot of horrible, brutal defensive miscues, and people are kind of saying, uh-oh, is this coming back? And I'm like, I don't really think it was no. that. I don't think – I think it was just there were some sloppy plays and miscues. That happens. That doesn't mean all of a sudden that it's going to be regular five-alarm fire in Thatcher Demko. Now, look, maybe that ends up being the start of a trend, and in January we're sitting here like, oh, man, where did that defensive performance go? But again – 
they established a pretty high baseline of defensive capability earlier in the season, and I'm not ready to throw that out because of some kind of gaffes that were really noticeable on Saturday. I'm willing to buy mid on the <laughs> on the Canucks being a roughly average defensive team. Yeah. But that line change right before the Alexia goal was ugly. Ugly. Yep. Like, absolutely cannot happen. That felt a little bit... Um, like Boudreaux doldrums. Well, I, I would say I would say Boudreaux Canucks, except in the Boudreaux Canucks era, it would have been saved. It would have been saved, yeah. <laughs> and they would have gone the other way and scored, scored right yeah, away. Pretty yeah. much. <laughs> Um, and then, and then, really, for me, the one that surprised me was the Beneers' ultimate game winner, mm-hmm. the four-two goal, because how many times have we seen a team really take a can opener to this club's defensive structure? Like even the games they've lost, even that Maple Leafs game, you know, it's like in off of Tyler Myers' knee, yeah, uh, fourth liner picks corner on Demko, camp deflection, you know, like those are those are things that happen in hockey. Whereas the Beneers goal was like two straight Royal Road passes leading to a tap-in, basically, for Seattle's best player. That's the sort of thing we really have not seen very often from this Canucks defensive group. And I don't think, like, Susie's absence, whoever they cobble together to replace him with, like, I don't think that's why. I don't think there's anything sustainably troubling in the defensive zone. I still think this team's DZP, like DZ play, defensive zone form, is high enough um, they're going to make teams work hard enough to beat them that I, I you know, I, I think they're going to be fine yeah. in terms of their five on five. And I think just game. what we're seeing here, and again, I completely understand this perspective from fans, but not every negative thing or bad line change is like actually the real Canucks poking their head out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they're, yeah, they're yeah. a flawed team. Of course they are. Every team's flawed in some way, right? And there's going to be bad moments. That doesn't mean all of a sudden it's going to erase the good things and it's going to revert back to last year or the year before that, right? I will say, though, like, you know, what my number one, my number one hedge, you know, despite my will team, I think this team passes the will team good test, which is now our test forever. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. My number one concern, though, is the top six. And that seems wild, given that both centers are, like, the top three in NHL scoring and on and on. But that really more reflects how potent Vancouver's power play has been. Five on five, the last ten games, JT Miller's at a 40% shot attempt share. Right? So this is not a five-game sample. This is, like, a pretty lengthy stretch of games now where, with this DiGiuseppe Miller-Besser line out... Um, you know, the Canucks still haven't been ventilated in terms of being wildly outscored with them on the ice, but that's mostly goaltending and finishing as opposed to actual ability to control play. That ability to control play has vanished for about a 10-game stretch now. I'm not saying that's like a new level. Yeah. I- I'm definitely not going to, you know, Miller had 40 games that were so high level as a defensive center once Tockett took over that I'm not throwing that out for this 10 games and being like, it's exactly what we thought, you know, like that's unfair, I think, to do given how long he sustained some really high-end defensive play, but that's fallen off. And then the Pedersen line, who was the line that got stuck out for the icing and had the brutal mm-hmm. line change, um, is also sub-50% shot attempts for a 10-game stretch. So the Canucks are being buried territorially once you put those two things together with their two best centermen on the ice. Um, if that's a regular thing, if that's going to continue, if that doesn't get turned around fast, 
this team is going to start to be outscored by a significant margin five on five as the bounces even out. They're going to become a team that's way too dependent on Thatcher Demko in the power play. Again, I'm not there yet. I don't see this being the case. But if it continues, like if we get to game 30, you know, and, and like Miller's well underwater yeah. uh, territorially and Pedersen's not breaking even by any significant stretch, then this team's going to look to me like one of those House of Cards PDO bender teams that, you know, may end up blowing a flat at some point over the course and of the season. the Pedersen part of that... I want to say, I'm not there we're yet. We're not there yet. Because we need to see the sample expand. The Pedersen part of it is really fascinating because it's so out of step with what we've typically seen in his career, where he has just right. been a, a lights-out, incredible play driver tilting the ice almost consistently, right? You could, you could look at the one slow start uh, when, when Travis Green was still here, right, and maybe some time in the North Division season. But by and large, when he the has been on the ice games. in his NHL career, yeah. he's tilting the ice. And so to see that not happen on a consistent basis is pretty jarring. And you're right. It's the kind of thing where, like, the logic of this team is built around Elias Patterson and JT Miller, but especially Elias Patterson being an elite play driver. Well, especially if Elias Patterson's not battling toughs. Like, the thing with yeah. Miller, you'd say, is... Yes, you're like, hey, if, okay, just survive, you know, do the job against tough minutes, and yeah. then let Patterson go out and feast. That's not happening no. right now, and that's pretty jarring. And, I mean, I think this ties into... That line's not even outscoring. Like, that's... And... and I think it ties into you're you're about to say the Kuzmenko yeah. discussion, but I also think we before we move on to that because you're right, like Mikheyev, Kuzmenko, Pedersen, one of those things is not like the other. Like one of those things is the thing we expect to be the straw that stirs the drink. Yep. And we know because talk it's so forthright that Pedersen's been battling through some stuff, mm-hmm. right? So we know that, and then when we see these results, you know, it becomes something of a concern, right? And again, this has always been like the number one thing I've used shot attempt differential for is when a guy's form for a persistent length of time fundamentally differs from their career norms, it's often a sign of injury. Yeah. Like it's often been. I, I With Henrik Sedin, I, I don't, you heard Chris Tanev, I'm sure, on the 32 yeah, Thoughts, what he was talking about through. his back. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you, you can go back in my Sportsnet archives back when I was a freelancer and I'd be like, clearly Henrik Sedin is hurt. And like I'd write whole columns on it with like, copious denials from Henrik, but I'd be like, there's no way he's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I think that's at least something we need to bring up to caption uh-huh. oh, what 100%. we're seeing from that line before moving on well, to the Kuzmenko oh, I think discussion. it's a big part of it, but I also think even that is part, like, that ties into the Kuzmenko thing as well, because as we move from the conversation about this team being, are they a playoff team, how can they become a playoff team, to, okay, we're pretty sure they're a playoff team, right, both on true talent level and because they've banked all these points. We're pretty sure they're a playoff team. How do they become a contender? And I think you look at what that line is doing with Pedersen, still on the ice and still producing, but fighting through something, and the fact that they're not able to tilt the ice, and you start to think about, okay, what does this team need to take that next step to become a contender? And I look at it as they need a third elite forward, right? Like, they need somebody who can help when Pedersen is in this spot tilt the ice and drive play at a high, high level, at a first-line level, right? And I think there was some hope that Andre Kuzmenko would be that player after scoring 39 goals, having so much success, so much chemistry with Pedersen last year, and it just hasn't materialized this year. Like He has not been able to pick up the slack for Elias Pedersen. I'm not saying he has to be just as good as Pedersen or anything like that, but you look at teams that win, teams that contend, they've got that third super high-end forward, right? And and that's, you know, you were like to give Pedersen that kind of running mate is what we're talking about here and the kind of thing that could uh, counterbalance some of his, you know, fighting through it right now at 5-on-5. Five five. Well, 
it's hard to name it's hard to name a team that has won the Stanley Cup without a star winger. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Like Mark um, Stone. Mark Stone. Miko Rantanen. Yep. Kucherov. Kucherov. Pick, pick like yeah. a bunch of guys. Yeah. But, I mean, the Blues would be the answer. Tarasenko. Tarasenko. Tarasenko yeah. real, was a really, was a really good player that year. Yeah. Even though I think David Perron was their best winger. Like, Tarasenko uh, sure. is maybe a, a cut below the other guys we're mentioning, but he was he is a beast at his yeah. prime, right, as a goal scorer. For sure. And then, like, even even the Kings, you know, they win their first cup in 2012 after getting Jeff Carter and yeah. playing him on the wing. And then the next time they win a cup, they go out and get Marion Gabrick. Like, yeah. you know, we're so used to focusing on center and D because wings don't have value. We've been talking about that ad nauseum in this yeah. market. But for the most part, if you're going to get it done, you're going to need a star winger. You're going to need a star winger, you know. If well, I think it's just not that guy. At a certain point, it's like the fact that they are undervalued, or, or sorry, that they don't have a ton of value. It's like you, it's going to be really expensive to have all of your stars at center and defense because they get paid so much. You know what I mean? There's almost a thing where it's like, yeah, you go one, you you can almost save some money by having a star winger if you're getting them <laughs> if you're getting I, them at a certain level of impact. I just think you need. You need a complete team. You need a complete team, right? And you need a, and you need some more creativity on the wings, and I think that's been apparent in some of Vancouver's contests. Like having that extra guy who can break things down and who can drive a little on the wing is crucial. And Kuzmenko, for for the most part, first of all, he's been playing fourth line minutes o- over the course yeah. of the season at five on five. He was benched in the second period of the game um, on Saturday, and then he wasn't even out late because. Rick Tockett was rewarding Nils Hoaglander and obviously wasn't satisfied yeah. with what he was getting from Kuzmenko. Um, you know, it, that becomes a real need if Kuzmenko's not delivering at that level. Uh, you know, for me anyway, it's not a surprise because I viewed Kuzmenko as a regression risk yeah. and I viewed Kuzmenko as like probably a complimentary offensive piece. Yeah. And I still think he's definitely a game breaker of uh, who's extraordinarily unique. But, you know, the Andrew Brunette example was one I was tossing out, and I think that's a good way of thinking about it, even though he may, he may still, I mean, what, he's got He's po- still like points a point per all- game almost. <laughs> yeah, he's not quite, but he's yeah. pretty close. Yeah, he's pretty close. Like, but, but the role that he's in on the power play, right, yeah. um, playing with Pedersen, the NHL's leading scorer at 5-on-5, five five, like, in some, way his, some ways his role is too big to not succeed on the back of a hockey card. But what this team needs from him isn't necessarily going to show up on the yeah. on the on the back of a hockey card. They they need someone who can help Pedersen, especially right now, drive play, and he just hasn't been up to that. And yet. I think the stud winger conversation, yeah, Pedersen is the guy who probably needs it most right now. But the thing about if you had that third forward who's a really high end winger, you can move him around as needed potentially, right? Like it's not as a, Besser's having a great season. Besser's a really good player, but he's not this guy that we're talking about. He's a, Besser's a top of the lineup. Besser's piece. a really good player, but it's not. He's not somebody that you expect to really drive play at a super high level. I don't think. Which right? comes back to the discussion because the Canucks actually do have a player who matches this description. It's just that he's their second line center right now. Right. You know, like at the end of the day, it's Miller is the winger is like exactly what we're talking about. Just like a you beast know? on the wing, super offensively talented. Can help Pedersen. Yeah, drive. hey, Pedersen needs some help right now. You put him on the well, wing, like, and there's a reason yeah. we're seeing Miller play the wing when the, in in high leverage situations. We're seeing yeah. the lotto line reunited at least for a shift or two a game on an almost every game basis. What does that tell you, Rick Tockett thinks he needs? Yeah, like it speaks volumes. It speaks volumes about what Rick Tockett thinks this team still needs. And, um, yeah, it's just that this team also needs a second-line yeah. center capable of battling toughs 
um, you know, it's it's um, it's a testament to Miller's versatility that he can be the answer to both questions. <laughs> but you know, but he can't do it at the same time. He's not Dolly the sheep. <laughs> They yeah. can't just clone them. Can't be in two places at once, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, but uh, like, and again, it's it's Miller and Pedersen both. All, all respect to Miller or to Besser and what he's done this year. But with PDG on that wing, you're just you can see the lack of that third guy who can be a stud who can help those centers out in the top six. We'll take a break. Tons of good texts coming in. Six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Brendan Bachelor, voice of the Canucks, here on Sportsnet six fifty. He joins us next here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet six fifty. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance here live from the Mobile Kintech Studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. JanPro, the leader in commercial cleaning. Keep your workplace safe during this flu season by trusting JanPro's EnviroShield disinfection service. Visit janpro.ca. EnviroShield, also a very effective move against poison-type Pokemon. Sure. I'll take your (laughs) word for it. Now joining us on the line, he is the uh, voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650, our guy, Brendan Batchelor. Batch, what's going on, man? Not much. I enjoyed those lo-fi beats coming back from break. Very (laughs) nice. I, Did I, they remind you I'm of in a perfect Bill mood to study or work to them now? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Batch, a couple losses uh, in a row here uh, for uh, for the Canucks, and you know we've heard the talk about the tired team, but we also saw what Rick Tockett had to say uh, about the game on Saturday night. You know, really pointing to the line changes, and obviously not satisfied with his team's effort. What do you see as the most important things that the team needs to to tighten up and kind of get back to here uh, following these two losses? Yeah, I, I think it's it's mostly on the defensive side of the puck for me. Just you know, some of the things that um, they were doing well in terms of limiting opportunities for the other team have kind of slipped over the last couple of games and. Um, you know, I think it was reasonable to expect some regression in, in that regard, and we've seen it a little bit. But as Ian Cole said to us the other night after the game, you know, good teams nip things like this in the bud, and they don't let, you know, small stretches like this become big stretches in terms of the way they play or the results they get on the ice. So um, just sort of commitment to, to playing together as a five-man unit, like we saw from them early in the year, um, you know, I, I think they've at times struggled to establish their forecheck, which has made it easier for teams to transition the puck through the neutral zone than what we saw early in the year. So that's going to be a, a big factor, too. And then, you know, bearing down in zone in the defensive end of the ice, getting pucks out when they have the opportunity to do so and not having extended shifts in their own end was something that you know, allowed them to have a lot of success early. And it feels like the shift length in terms of teams hemming them in uh, has been extended over the last couple of games. And, and that's something that this team cannot afford to have continued. What are you seeing on the breakout batch? And I always actually really prize the, 
view of a play-by-play announcer on this stuff because you're calling the action, right? And it just feels like, for me anyway, watching these games, certainly the last five, but I'd maybe even go back further, it feels like there have been more of those shifts where the Canucks were getting out so cleanly early in the season or certainly during that excellent run we saw earlier this month. And and of late, it feels like more often – than previously, teams are getting them turned around and continuing those sort of offensive zone shifts. Yeah, I feel like the, they've been a little bit disconnected on their breakouts. Like mm-hmm. we've we've seen, you know, the wingers cheating a little bit higher at times, maybe I think, and so the 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 connectivity isn't there. I think part of it too is is the way teams are forechecking them has has changed a little bit. So right. you know, as we get into the season coaches get a hold of more and more video and they scout things. And and I think, you know, trying to prevent the Canucks from attacking with speed through the neutral zone, gaining the offensive line um, and breaking out cleanly is something that, that teams have really keyed on. And you can understand why when you look at a, what Quinn Hughes is able to do in terms of their ability to transition the puck, but then B how smooth it looked for them as a group early in the year and to me, one of those things, and we've talked so much about, you know, the busy schedule, meaning that these guys might be tired and all the travel they've had and so many games in so many days. But I think maybe the more salient point to make here is when you're playing this much, you don't get as much time to practice. You don't get as much time to work on these things, which oftentimes we'll see when some of these things slip in their game. If they get a couple of good practice days in, that sort of refocuses them in terms of their ex- execution on breakouts, you know, on, on transitional play, because it's something that we see them work on a lot in practice um, when they do get the chance to have practices, which obviously hasn't been the case very much with all the travel over the last couple of weeks. So um, I think that's probably part of it too, is some of those things slip when you don't get the chance to work on them. And the fact that, you know, teams have scouted them a bit and are trying to make it more hard on them than it was early in the year. After his forward lines were in a blender during the second period on Saturday night, Rick Tockett was asked by Patrick Johnston if Andre Kuzmenko had been benched, and his matter-of-fact response was, Kuzi needs to start playing a little harder. What are you seeing from Kuzmenko? Yeah, I, I really liked how he was playing... Uh, in the game against the Islanders where he – or was it – it was against the Islanders that he yeah. took the puck in the face, right? Like, I, I yeah. thought right before that happened, he had a great shift. He drew two penalties to give them the five-on-three. Yeah. I thought it was probably one of the better games that we'd seen from him. Um, and, you know, whether whether that was an after-effect of, of taking that puck in the face, he was – you know, uh, invisible is too strong of a word, but he was not a big factor uh, in the game on Saturday night. I thought to the point where, you know, the coach backed off his minutes. And it's clear to me anyway, from just looking at, at Kuzmenko's minutes and the way he's deployed, that he still has a lot of work to do to gain the trust of the head coach because Kuzmenko's minutes go up in games where they need offense, like, you know, tight games. I think he played it. I think his season high was the game against the Rangers, which is, you know, a back and forth game. They need offense in the third period. Kuzmenko's out there on the ice. If this team's protecting a lead, 
his ice time, especially in the second half of the game or in the third period, goes in the tank. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a one-goal lead. Like, his minutes have gone down in games where they're up by two or three or four goals. Um, So that, to me, says there is not a lot of trust defensively. There's not a lot of trust that he'll make, you know, the, the simple right play in that game state. And that says a lot about how far that I think that the coaching staff probably feels he needs to come in terms of the quote unquote staples of the game that talk, always talks about, um, you know, he's a tremendously gifted offensive player who uh, his production, especially in terms of goal scoring has regressed this year. And I think that's something we expected. So when that happens, when you're an offensive player, you have to still be reliable in the other areas of the game. And this is a conversation that I bring it up all the time because I feel like we have this conversation with a variety of different players within this organization. And and the guy that stands out most to me in my mind in terms of this conversation relating directly to him is Nikolai Goldobin. Now, Andre (laughs) Kuzmenko, let me state, is a much better player than Nikolai Goldobin. He is much more deserving of his spot in the lineup than Goldobin was. When he was here, and I believe that Kuzmenko, you know, can round out his game and is eager to learn in terms of, you know, some of the things he needs to do that aren't about producing offense, that are about, you know, making the smart play and the simple play. Because I think we've seen him take some strides in that regard. But whenever we would talk about Goldobin, I would always say to make it in the NHL as a player like that, you either have to score so much that they can't take you off the ice or you have to be committed to the 200-foot game, and you have to be reliable, and you have to gain the trust of the coaching staff. So if you produce a ton, they're going to let some of those things slide because you're producing a ton for them. But if you're not, then you've got to find a way to have a two-way impact or to bring something else to the table. And Goldobin's undoing as a Vancouver Canuck and as an NHL player was that he could do neither of those. He could not produce to the level that Kuzmenko produces, and he couldn't, you know, impact the game at both ends of the ice and make the simple and smart plays that the coaching staff wanted him to. So ultimately, it didn't work for him. Now, Kuzmenko, supremely yes. talented offensive player, producing yes. very well. It's not the same conversation, but he does need to grow in that area of the game to gain the trust of the coaching staff so that they're willing to put him out late in games, especially if he wants to be a top-line winger on a line with Pedersen long-term. You got any uh, Nikita Triamkin takes to, to get out while we're, while we're <laughs> no. at it here, Pat? <laughs> no, no. Well, I'm My, not touching those with uh, with a, a pole as long as Nikita as Triamkin. Nikita Triamkin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but on the Andre Kuzmenko point, and, you know, I, I did see some fans kind of react with surprise about Tockett's commentary, basically saying, like, come on, he's just coming back after taking that puck in the face. Why are you, why are you picking on him almost? But I don't think it should really be a surprise that there's some level of dissatisfaction uh, from Rick talking about Andre Kuzmenko's game. I mean, you can go back to last season when Tockett came in and you saw Kuzmenko's minutes go down. We've heard him talk about, again, those staples and a lot of the things that you're talking about. And as you mentioned just at the end there, I think the really key thing with Kuzmenko is there's no real other obvious spot in the lineup. They need him to be a legitimate top-line winger. And I think especially right now we're seeing it with Elias Pettersson fighting through something they really need Kuzmenko to pick up some of that slack and be a legit first-line driver at the top of the lineup right now. Yeah, and I, I heard you guys talking about that before you brought me on, too. Like, 
do we think that that is Andre Kuzmenko's game? Like, do we honestly believe that he is a play driving winger? I, I, you know, he scored a lot last year, had a lot of success offensively, was shooting the lights out whenever he got the opportunity. But would either of you have described him as a play driving winger? I don't know if I would have. I mean, I, I described him in the opposite way and got dunked on it for a few months. So, um, you know, I think a lot of people would batch. Yeah, I, I just don't see it, right? And and that doesn't mean he can't be a, a very good offensive player for this team. Doesn't mean he won't be an important player for this team. He's definitely but they only have a handful of guys that drive play. Hmm. And I just don't see him as one of those guys. Now, could talk it mold him into that? Maybe, but it's not like he's a super young rookie or anything like that, right? Like he's into his you know mid to late 20s kind of at this point probably is what he is and the conversation you guys were having about them needing another play driver to play in their top six or to play on Pedersen's wing or to be able to clone JP Miller is (laughs) you know absolutely correct and I don't see that changing from Kuzmenko's perspective so you know he, he is what he is he's going to give them a lot of offense he's going to help them produce on the power play and you would imagine eventually his shooting percentage will return to, you know, not the form that he was last year, but, you know, he, he needs to shoot the puck more. I think that's another thing as well. He's averaging, uh, you know, or he's on pace for fewer shots this year than he had last year. And coming into the season, even he talked about the fact that he was going to need to shoot more because pucks weren't going to go in at the same rate that they did. That isn't happening. So there's lots of area for improvement in his game even though there has been some offensive production there. And, and to be honest, I've been impressed with the fact that, you know, he's still been able to help produce offensively even when he hasn't been shooting at that same percentage. Um, and, and part of that is being on a power play with a lot of very good players. Um, but he's, he's going to need to find ways, maybe not to drive play, but to try and assist Pedersen because, you know, uh, he, he may not have a long-term home on that line if they can find someone else that can do it better. The, the situation for him that allows him to stay there right now is that they don't have anyone else that fits better in that spot than he does. Batch, I think we've seen enough to know that this team is a lot better than previous iterations. When you When they lose two games in a row like that, what's your big picture takeaway? Does it in any way inform what you've learned about this team through 18 games? My big picture takeaway is more about team depth than it is about what this team might be capable of because I don't think it's a coincidence that this starts to happen when you lose a couple of guys in Pew Suter and Carson Soucy. Mm. And uh, I don't want to overrate the importance of those, those two players because you know, teams should be able to withstand injuries to a guy who, you know, call him a second-pairing defenseman, call him a third-pairing defenseman, whatever you want. He's he's not one of their top, top defensemen. And Pew Suter is their third-line center. Like, those are the sorts of injuries that teams are able to withstand and battle through with some level of regularity in the NHL. At least good teams are. Um so, so that's how I look at it, not in terms of how impactful those guys are, but in terms of how much it taxes their depth when they're not in the lineup. And um, I think Susie in particular, who 
you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that individually he was tremendous or, or was having a fantastic season or was, you know, much better than expected. I think he was playing at about a level that we would have reasonably expected from Carson Soucy coming into the year. But what it does when you lose a Carson Soucy is, at least at the moment, you have to play two of Hirose, Juleson, and Friedman in your lineup which means you're going to rely on Hughes and Heronic to play more minutes when they've already been playing a lot of minutes. And that means that you're kind of, you know, damned if you do and, and damned if you don't, because either you're going to play your top guys too much to cover up for the fact that you don't like your depth and they're going to get exhausted. And I think we've seen a bit of that with the hectic schedule here as well. And the fact that their minutes have been increased, you know, Heronic played what 29 minutes the other night. Um, or you have to try and trust guys down your lineup that maybe are playing in a position that they're not well-suited for, like Juleson, like Friedman, um, who have less insulation because you can't put both of them out there with a guy like Ian Cole who can help them out. And I think you know that's sort of where the Canucks' blue line looked its best this year is when they had Susie with Myers, Cole with Friedman, and Hughes with Heronic. So then you're either you're either playing your top guys too much or you're having to play guys that you don't trust to be everyday NHLers too much or you split up Hughes and Heronic, which also doesn't seem like a great option because they've been the best pairing in the NHL together. And, and that's what I look at and say, that's where my big picture concern is, is, you know, is this team built to withstand injuries in certain areas of their lineup? And what happens if, you know, let's say they have another injury. Let's say it's not just Carson Soucy. Let's say someone else goes out on the back end. And it doesn't even have to be Hughes or Heronic. Then what kind of a situation are they in in terms of their depth? And how does that affect their ability to continue to perform to even close to a level from what we saw from them through the first 15 games, shall we say? Yeah, it's a good point, Badge. I mean, you look at what Ian Cole has done for them in that kind of third, uh, number three defenseman role. And if, if he was to miss time or something like that, uh, I think that's a really good point about the depth. You mentioned Friedman, Juleson, Hirose, two out of three of them in, in the lineup. It looks like it's going to be Friedman and Juleson tonight. But, I, you know, Hirose was in on Seattle. He draws out tonight. It definitely feels like the coaching staff is still looking for answers. What do you think they, they're wanting to see, they need to see from these guys before we kind of get at – the, the, the equilibrium, right? That this is going to be the stable lineup of as long as Susie is out, you should expect these guys to play. Because right now, as I said, it still feels like they're looking for something from these three guys and they're not getting it yet. I think it's a cliche, but it's a cliche for the reason, for a reason. We want to come out of a game where there are no talking points revolved around Mark Friedman or Noah Juleson or Akita Hirose. So, you know, you think back to the Calgary game, I believe it was the Calgary game, where Friedman kind of dives in on a play. It's an odd man rush the other way. It's a bad read. It's a bad pitch. And there's a goal against. And that sort of was the spot where um, his his minutes, he was stapled to the bench after that, and he came out of the lineup. Um, you know, Juleson, I think, hasn't been as reliable with the puck as they would like in terms of uh, making the right play to get the puck out of his own zone and, and not turning it over or, or making a poor decision under pressure i think he's been better the last couple of games he brings a physicality and and that's why he's kind of stayed in the lineup where uh friedman has come out 
Um, and, and then Hirose, you know, it's a tough spot for him as a guy that I think uh, had a good showing last year at the NHL level, but was playing in garbage time at the end of the year. Um, so, you know, you come in in a situation like this with a team this year that has more expectations and, um, and is going through a moment right now where they're struggling a little bit and that doesn't set him up well to have individual success. And I think we've seen him struggle uh, with, you know, the, some of the pace of the game and some of the, the, the forechecking aggressiveness that other teams have been showing them. So um, it's kind of how you would have looked at the forward group last year where um, without Phil Giuseppe fully establishing himself as a top six forward, it was just a rotating cast of characters because the coaching staff kept trying to find something. And, um, you know, until D Giuseppe emerged in the role that he's in now, they, they never really found it. And multiple different guys, whether it was Beauvillier or Garland or Dakota Joshua got a chance in the top six last year, D Giuseppe got that opportunity and has obviously finally run with it um, until they get Susie back or they make a trade to bring in another defenseman or one of these three guys, or I guess Christian Willannon, if they can get him up, at some point um, can really solidify their spot in the lineup as being someone that can be trusted on a night to night basis that can be reliable, but quiet, reliable, right? Like, as I said, you know, we don't want to be coming out of a game saying, Oh, on that goal, Friedman pinched up the boards and it created this chance or, Oh, Juleson couldn't get the puck out or make a clean breakout pass on that play. And it allowed another team to hem them in. Those are the kind of things that, that will keep that a rotating carousel at that spot in the lineup until they can get healthy. Batch, if the Sharks stay out of the box tonight, can they give the Canucks a game? Uh, probably not, uh, but it's <laughs> hockey, so anything is possible. No, it's not. Um, That's such a mean question to ask about the Sharks, and they've earned it. It's just how, amazing. Dare, how dare you say such a thing on this program, Batch? <laughs> Uh, I said it on this program intentionally, Drancer. Don't worry. Um, is there a world in which the Sharks could give the Canucks a game? Yes. Do I think that we are living in that world? No, I don't. No, me neither. <laughs> Another branch of the multiverse. It's going to be a really tight one at Rogers. Do you tonight. remember all the hand wringing exactly. the day of the first game? Yes. And, and it was like, like, oh, you guys are acting like it's a guaranteed win. And then they went and scored 10 <laughs> goals. And, they, and within five minutes, yeah. it was 2 nothing. Now, over. to be fair, San Jose's won three times since then. Well, San Jose's won three in their last six, which is like Canucks numbers. That's what the Canucks have done. It's true. <laughs> Two teams on exactly equal footing recently. <laughs> uh, okay, Batch, thanks for doing this, man. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right, that is Brendan Batchelor, voice of the Canucks. And look, the one thing I'll say about the Sharks, and this is speaking of cliches and all that, but the hockey one where it's like you're never as bad as you look when you're in the losing streak. You're never as good as you look when you're in the winning streak. It's like, don't get me wrong. The Sharks are really bad, but they weren't as bad. The people were like, oh, they're not going to get to 30 points. It's like, yeah, they are. Um, don't worry. They're going to get to 30 no, points. They're going to get to you 30 points. You know what points. I mean? Like, but are they going to get to 50? Well, that's up for discussion. But that's a, it, but there's a big gap. That's a twenty point gap. Sure, you know but what I mean? mean. I mean, we're still talking history at that yes, point. Yes, we're still talking really, really bad I'm, teams. I'm telling you right now, because what's forgotten about in that 10-1 snow day victory the Canucks racked up over the San Jose Sharks a few weeks ago. San Jose Sharks took a double minor in the first five minutes. That's true. You know who the Canucks are going to run the score up against? Any team that takes a double minor in the first five minutes. Like I'm telling you right now, if the Sharks play disciplined hockey tonight. If they can stay out of the box, 
they can keep this at least like a square contest. You know, the other thing is uh, the first. I, I, I don't think they're winning. I think the Canucks <laughs> will win. I'm not saying take the Sharks on the money line or anything outrageous, but like if the Sharks can play with enough discipline to avoid feeding the Canucks power play, I think they can make this. Well, yeah, like even historically bad teams play close games. You yeah. know what I mean? And win games, right? So it's as much as we were joking about, oh, it did turn out to be guaranteed win night the first time they played. This is still an NHL team. Uh, and hey, as a, like again, I got to yeah. check what's the record of Kalen Addison in the lineup. Yeah, it's it's really better. Tur- really turn things around I, for them. I mean, I mean, let's not go crazy, but yeah. but I I'm serious. I I think the Canucks are struggling so much to manufacture stuff five on five in terms of their offensive push, and Blackwood has been playing well. So if they now if they give the Canucks three power play opportunities, yeah, they will lose by multiple goals. Like the the puck line minus one point five will play. If the Sharks take three penalties tonight. I do think it's interesting that the first time they played the Sharks, they were coming off a win against Nashville at home, but it was one of those wins where unanimously after the game, player and coach are all talking like, ooh, yeah, we didn't like how we played. We got to get totally. back to it. We got to really And they improve. were right, by the way. They were right. And then, you know, they have the Sharks on the schedule, like perfect opportunity. And in this one, coming off the two games, uh, two losses against divisional opponents, didn't like how they acted, played on uh, on Saturday, and uh, now they've got the Sharks there on the schedule again. So not just getting to play the Sharks, but at the right time in your season. Oh, this, is, <laughs> perfect, this, is, perfect. this is the get-right game of all get-right games. You've yeah. got, you, you do not want to have the conversation post-game tonight where you're like, and we've lost three in a row. No, they got to go to Colorado on Wednesday. they got to go to Colorado. But that's guaranteed win game for this team. Uh, Colorado, no. they crush Colorado. Yeah, they don't crush them. They, they play well. They played well against they them. They beat them every time. Crushing them is a they little They beat much. them every time. You still don't want to be on a three-game losing streak, coming off a loss of the Sharks, going on the road to play Colorado. At you don't altitude. want that. You don't, you don't want altitude. that. At altitude. But, yeah. but, but would it shock you, like, knowing this team and having followed this team as long and as closely as you have if they lose tonight and win in Colorado? No, of course not. Doesn't that just, like, feel spiritually right? Of course not. And not just win in Colorado, but, like, Blow oh, yeah, the doors yeah. off oh, yeah. that. Like, like wow. what's back, baby? 6-0 in Colorado. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, Max in New West says, uh, from a betting perspective, what would be perfect is if the Sharks get the first goal, then you hammer the money line on Vancouver to win. So he's he says, let's go Sharks for the first 10 minutes. It would be fascinating if the Sharks do take the lead. Because what, the Canucks are like minus 380 right now? Yeah, it's going to take a lot to get them. What, like, the it wouldn't even be money. like, yeah, you know what I mean? It would be like, okay, they're minus I, 250 now I, to win. I think they'd need to be trailing... <laughs> Midway through the second, before yeah. you were able to take the and by, like, plus money, and I don't think if it was if it was two one, halfway through the game for the Sharks, I, I think you'd get plus money at that point. I think it would be like a toss up. Well, I'll track it and we can discuss we'll tomorrow we'll if, if, if if the Canucks aren't up four nothing at the end of the first period. Yes, they very <laughs> Which well might they be. Could easily be. Uh, all right, we will take a break here. We will hear from head coach Rick Tockett, uh, get his sense of where his team's at coming off that loss against the Kraken and taking on the Sharks tonight. Lots more of your text to get to as well. It is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Canucks game day here at Rogers Arena taking on the the lowly San Jose Sharks tonight. Uh, You can hear it, of course, right here on Sportsnet 650 with Brenda Bachelor, Randy Janda on the call. Sat 
and reach on the pregame show. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are comedy alive from the Kintech Studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. It is Canucks game day, which of course means that head coach Rick Tockett met with the media earlier today here at Rogers Arena. And you know we love us some Rick Tockett audio. Oh, we here got, we got a, I'm a concept guy again today. Oh, yeah. yeah let's go. <laughs> let's go. All right. So with that introduction, here is the head coach of the Canucks, Rick Tockett. Just play without the puck. You know, I think that's something that we've hung our, our hat on is how well we've been in structure. I think the last few games were a little bit off coming into our end uh, structurally a little bit, you know, just a little bit harder away, you know, away from the puck, getting pucks in situations to get them out. I just think we're a little bit sloppy there and we worked on it. We had a good video. Footy did a great video today on on our D zone without the puck. So that's what I like about this group. Usually when you identify and you, you know, other other than we, it's hard to practice it. uh, Guys usually bounce back pretty good. You talk about being impressed by the leadership group. What have you seen over the last few days with the guys on their own in terms of being unsatisfied and wanting to get back on track? Yeah, well, they recognize it, you know, and, um, you know, they've, they're not going to let it slide. And that's the important part of a leadership group is not letting things slide. And, you know, when things aren't going your way, sometimes it's uncomfortable to say to some certain people, hey, you got to get your game back or even yourself. You know, it's just not the leadership group that they're absolved from everything. It's just more of a, a general feeling that, hey, don't be afraid to tell your teammate, hey, on these situations, you got to be here and you got to get that puck out or you have to stop in the slot. I think it's, you know, if it's always come from the coach, it's better when it comes from your peers. Have you seen more of that happening? This year I have. Yeah, after we slip a little bit, yes. And um, I think the slide's just a little bit too longer for me and I'd like to see us, like I said tonight, away from the puck, play better defensively. Rick, you spent a lot of time with Dakota Joshua on the ice during practice. It feels like you almost like working with him quite a bit. What are you seeing so far this season and the progression from some of the things you were looking for in training camp? Just He's a give-and-go guy. You know, if he, if he learns to be, I talk about that .5 seconds, if he can play a half second quicker on his decisions, he's a menace out there. You know, so it's, uh, it's hard to defend a bigger guy when he gives and goes. It's hard to get in front of people like that. So if, if he, that half second of him is huge. So just working on those little things, you know, giving and going, um, in close space, things like that. That line with Connor Garland being his other winger, what is it about the physicality? Because two guys who play a very different type of physical game, but what do you like about that pairing and their forecheck? Um, I, their puck possession or coming out of the corners with a puck. I think they, especially when Suits was here, um, that line was good for before. I thought they were one of our best lines for about four or five games because they were really good on the forecheck, but they were coming up with loose pucks in, in the cycles. Um, and they were extending ozone play, you know, making the other team tired. Um, and that's why they were successful. With Connor Garland, what is the best part of him, like, physically? Like, I know he's a smaller body, but what do you like about how he is in the corners and maybe on the forecheck as well? Just like I, I, I told him, I, he's like a scat back in, in football. You know, he's just one of those guys you put him in different, line him up in different positions. And same thing in hockey. You know, he's, he's a guy that he's got to stay in structure, but he's also an instinctual player. But he comes up with a lot of loose pucks in the corners. That's what I like about Gars. And he's not afraid to get to the net. When our line's going well, and Pedersen got off to the start, he did, and Kuzme, I should say, uh, Mikheyev came back so strong, Rick. 
Kuzmenko kind of bought some time there because the line was going so well. What do you need to see from Kuzmenko tonight? Well, I think that line in general have to put the, push the pace. <clears throat> you know, they're always looking. I don't like to use the word slow, but it's 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 they're trying to play too methodical for me. And I think if you if you watch the you know, and they they have parts of their game where you're like, wow, but they got to push the pace. You know, they, they you can't slow the game down. And it's not even the guy with the puck. Sometimes it's the guy without the puck. You know, you can demand the puck by playing fast. Like if the guy doesn't give it to you, then go offside. Like that, that's how you sometimes you make a guy give you the puck. Like you're screaming down the wing, and or you you want the guy to chip it into you to you. It's hard for you to always put, put the brakes on. So I think you can demand the puck to play faster. And um, I think PD can do that with those guys a little bit more. I think PD sometimes is trying to kind of feed off them, and I think sometimes PD's just got to go. And if they don't give them the puck, they don't give them the puck. I'm, I'm just saying that in general. I'm not saying they're doing it. I think they just got to play faster. One of your challenges coming here, Rick, was to get your know your players not just as players but as people. Um, tonight is Autism Awareness and yeah. Acceptance Night. Brock Besser has lent himself to so many different charitable causes. He has some relationships on a personal level. Uh, you've seen him evolve as a player. Have you got to know the person and what do you respect about a guy who seems to have a different outlook on the world? Yeah, I've had some great talks with him. I, you know, Brock's been an interesting guy, like um, just how he's evolved and, and the relationship we've had. I didn't even know Brock when I got here at all. You know, you try to get information from other coaches and stuff, you know, Greeny and stuff, but... Um, you know, I didn't know the stuff he had, you know, I just look at the hockey, you know, I didn't know the personal part. And then when you, as a coach, you learn about the personal, it makes you understand. Um, and then just, he's at peace with his, his mind is, and even with the way he plays the game, the way he practices, he's just, uh, his hockey IQ is really, for me is, um, even in practice is really something I didn't know he had like that level. Like he's a really smart guy. Um, but the personal stuff, like he's just. He's just so much, in, you know, from from the last eight months, such an outgoing guy now, and he's having fun. Scoring goals now. He talks about being out there in the last minute of a period, how important that is to him. Yeah, I mean, I've seen him on the bench. Like, I didn't see it last year, but this year, if a guy's – he'll go and talk to Hoggy or some of the younger guys about certain situations. Hey, make sure you don't overback check in this situation. Like, he's, talk, he's not talking about scoring. He's talking about details of the game. Um and even last minute, you know, I put him out there. The next day, he'll come. Hey, talk. You know, I don't know if he, he played in the last minute in his past. I don't. Maybe he hasn't. But he'll ask questions. Hey, in this situation, should I do? Like he's asking questions because he wants to be on that last minute. Rick, what about the power play? Because for Brock, um, played some in the bumper in college. <laughs> when he first came up, he was um, sort of off wing, half wall guy, yeah. uh, shoot high volume. Uh, they. JT comes in, he ends up at the net front, but he sort of loses that job first to Toffoli yeah, yeah. and then to Kuzmenko. And now in your system, he kind of <clears throat> plays yeah. everywhere. Is it almost like a, with with the player who's developing, is it almost helpful to have yeah. had struggles or, or you know failures, quote-unquote, earlier in your career now that his versatility or the knowledge that he's picked up? Is yeah, I, I agree with that. I think sometimes, whether it's failure or not understanding. It's probably too harsh but no, 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 I understand what you're saying. But, uh, like, I'm a concept guy. I, I'm, I'm not a, like, I don't like plays. Like, oh, you go here. You got you to gotta have them, but it's concept. So if if you're playing a team that they're very aggressive and that middle's open at certain times, then I want Brock there. But there's sometimes when there's, you know, a team plays a, a, sh- a shrunk diamond, I don't want Brock in the middle all the time. I want him to the side. Like, if you watch him play now, he's everywhere. He's scored goals from up top. He's scored 
goals in front of the net. He's, I don't know how many power play goals he's scored, but I bet you they're from different areas. They're not just always in the bumper. Um, I think that's helped him because I've watched him last year when he was trying to play the bumper. He just kind of stood in the bumper. He didn't really understand. And I think he likes the concepts that we have here where he gets to move um, and where a lot of other guys are moving. And obviously him and JT have a, a lot of – they've got a good chemistry They've had a couple of those bumper goals because of that. So, um, yeah, I, I like him freeing around, moving around in different spots. When you've sort of lost two in a row and, and maybe haven't been thrilled about your form, just as you sort yeah. of suggested, your yeah. leadership group hasn't been for maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, is there an additional challenge when you then are hosting a team that you guys beat pretty soundly the last time you met? How, how do you approach that? Well, I think that's even makes you, you have to be mentally strong. You have to, I don't care who you play. Uh, you obviously the respect and humble. We're big in that around here, but um, the play without the puck, I don't care who you play. You have to do, if you're the, the rail guy we call the winger, you have to be in this position, you got to stop. Um, just because you play different teams doesn't mean you change your style. So that's the, the, the I guess the, 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 uh, how strong mentally you are to be able to play the right way all the time. Um, yeah, I, I, I get it. You know, uh, but if you watch San Jose the last two weeks, they've been playing pretty darn good. They beat some good hockey teams. So we're out of our mind to think that we're going to come in here and not be ready to play. Like the, the, I don't even have to say it. The warning, they, they've already said it. The warning signs, the bells, the whistles have already gone on. we got to play our game. I don't care who we play tonight. We have to play our game. Rick, I think coaches always like internal competition. Mark Friedman's given you some pretty good minutes, but he's on the outside now. Juleson seems to, to be the guy. It looks like he's going to play again tonight. What is it right now about <clears throat> Juleson as opposed to Friedman? Well, if I, no, if I, I'm putting Freed's in tonight. He'll play tonight. Yeah, so Freed's will be in. Hiroshi will be out. So, um, you know, it's, it's, you, when you're in those spots, you know, sometimes they're rotated for different reasons. You know, sometimes it's play. Sometimes it's just, hey, you, want, you don't want the guy to be on the shelf too long. Um, you know, I just think uh, there's a couple of games Freeds was getting in trouble when uh, certain situations where he's just got to read the game a little bit more. And it's okay to reset. It's okay to reset. And I think he's, he's going to be good tonight. I really do. He had some good practices. Uh, Rick, you're going to debut the matte black helmets to go with the jerseys, yeah, like which those. you all like? Yeah. Any, yeah. Any thoughts aside from that you like the matte? No, I think one of you guys made the comment that the teams that wear black, they get more penalties. That's the only thing I don't like about the black. I forget who said it. Yeah, there. Is it you? Yeah. I think you're right, though. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett uh, speaking to the media earlier today. You've really put that in his head now. And I, you could tell. <laughs> as soon as it came up, he was as like, so, Well, he, he like came back to it like multiple times, and then that was the game that JT Miller took the multiple penalties yeah, and got right. benched, which actually, like, off, off mic – that's what I said. I was like, that was the game where, and like, I felt terrible. And he was like, yeah. <laughs> you should. How dare you? You should feel bad. <laughs> that's, that's very good. <laughs> um, lots of interesting commentary in there from uh He's so from funny, man. Like, he's, he's uh, first of all, I don't know if you picked up the um, comment that he had over the weekend about the resets and the way that the team's being scouted. Yep. And Jeff Patterson tweeted the whole thing I noted how interesting I thought it was. His willingness to actually dive into tactics... 100%. ...makes him pretty unique in the NHL, but in this market where people really have a hunger to understand what they're watching, it's just manna from heaven. Like, honestly, it's it's incredible. Um, 
And then I had a lot of people who were picking up my commentary that it's like, it's really cool the way that Rick Tockett will openly discuss tactics at this level with the media and in public. And a lot of people were like, LOL, he's just saying that when really it's a regression. And it's like, it's not one or the other. Like, yeah. One of the reasons why regression is worth paying attention to in the NHL is the quality of of coaching, preparation, and professionalism among NHL players, right, means that if your team is running hot and spamming a, a specific type of shot or a specific type of breakout and just, like, cleaning up with it, it's going to be harder to execute going forward. Like, that's one of the reasons why regression happens and is such a powerful thing to monitor. It, 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 these aren't mutually exclusive. It's not regression independent. It's not luck independent of form. These are, you know, in combination factors yep. that make it hard to sustain success if you're not regularly tilting the ice and creating that environment where you're more likely to get the next goal than the other team. And I think you're right about the appetite to really get into the nuts and bolts of oh, hockey tactics, awesome. right? Because it is so rare across the NHL to hear a coach speak frankly like that. And I think... There's a couple reasons. One is, you know, the NHL, there's probably still this, I don't know, desire for secrecy or whatever, right? Like, oh, don't want to tip our hand. But I also think that maybe in other NHL Coaches cities. Coaches are wild about that. Like, yeah. not disclosing your starter exactly, in a preseason right? You know, game. you think of, like, the, the injury stuff and the reporting where that is. Preposterous. But I also think maybe there's just not a realization around the NHL that there is such an appetite for that. But you look at other sports and, like, think about how some coaches or players will talk about, like, breaking down defensive coverages in the NFL or, you know, pick-and-roll schemes in the NBA. Or, it's or not... Adam Silver. Did you see the Adam Silver commentary where yeah. he was like, one thing about the NFL is – people go like the media goes in depth about why a result was the way it was whereas in our league people just say well they outworked them yeah and you know that's not necessarily the case hockey i think is more a game where like sometimes the team that ends up with 100 points versus the team that ends up with 90 like legitimately just like is a little more focused in february just like worked harder (laughs) i I think that happens more often in the nhl or we're or we're more rested right or i mean we're seeing the impact that a schedule like a condensed schedule yeah. has on a team. Anyway, I, I just think it's um, I think it's a good thing to try and explain and have the sport be better understood uh, by the people watching it, and especially in this market where the appetite for that type of coverage, that type of content, that type of understanding is literally limitless. I, I think it's a fantastic thing. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's great, and he it's been such a such a fun subplot of the season really to follow. Is listening to Rick talk at Talk Hockey. Um, can we talk really quickly? Um, the Quinn Hughes slap shot. All right. Against Seattle. Yeah. In the wake, you know, within the same week as the Quinn Hughes goes Austin Matthews drag shot bar down on Ilya Sorokin in overtime. Yeah. It's not normal. Okay? It's not normal to add elite shot mechanics. Right? This is not Quinn Hughes on shooting percentage bender that no one could see coming. I mean, how how many games into the season before I started saying he's going to score 20? Like three? Yeah, I don't know. Because he, he's, at the age of 20, what, he's 23, 24? He is 24. At the age of 24, Quinn Hughes went back to Michigan for the summer, and I'm not exactly sure what he did. But he came Probably back. shot a lot. <laughs> but he came back with elite shot mechanics. <laughs> out of Out of nowhere, man. 
out of nowhere, like no sign that this was coming toward the end of last season. Yeah, and really? it's, it's it's interesting because when we start, and just the, the stats are like eye-popping, right? Seven and 18 games already. Uh, his career high is eight and 68 games in his rookie year. So obviously he's going to just completely demolish. And he's hit like a bunch of posts and had like yeah. a bunch of robberies. And I mean, honestly, this guy could have 10 already. But when we started to... Here's the other thing I'm buying high on. Quinn Hughes goal totals. Goal scoring, yeah. When we started to hear about Quinn Hughes and scoring goals, I think he framed it as, I need to shoot more. Right, I need to get into dangerous positions and shoot more, more than he framed it as I'm going to become an elite shooter. Right, like and those are different things, and and I think we all understood like yeah, hey, get into those positions, get more shots on goal, that's great, and then maybe you'll score like ten goals a year, twelve goals a year. Right, you know what I mean? I think that was kind of the expectation, and sure. a very reasonable expectation. But to see, and I think it's just a testament to how how incredibly talented he is, how incredibly diligent he is, how smart. He is and how he goes about his training. But you're right. In the course of one offseason, not just to take a perceived weakness and be, like, average, right? But to be all of a sudden really, really good at it is is incredible to witness. Well, and this is one of those things, like, as I've been trying to figure out why have the Canucks exceeded my expectations? Why was I too low on them by a factor of, you know, yeah. three to four points prior to the season? Like, the number one thing I didn't see coming, number one, by a mile, is Quinn Hughes becoming, if not the best single skater in the NHL, in the conversation for it? Like, you know, I, I and I've been as high on Quinn Hughes as about anyone you'll find. Like, yeah. I've thought this guy was a star player from the moment I saw him at the NHL level. I've, I've always been, I've, like, even during that bubble season when he was getting criticized locally for his defensive game, I haven't bought it. You know, I stumped for him to win the Calder, and I still think he should have gotten more consideration given the golf and team quality and the impact that Quinn Hughes had on on what Vancouver was able to do in making the playoffs in 2019-20. Yeah. Like, but this is different, man. This is different. You know, the, the Quinn Hughes showing up this season and just absolutely dominating in this way, like... You know, the Bobby Orr comps are statistical, but, you know, honestly, it's hard to think of a player I've seen exert this much influence over the game, have this much gravity in terms of where the game is played, like literally forcibly tilt the ice every time he steps on for a shift, and then and then to have added, like, not, to have turned a weakness in his game, right, the, the, the mm-hmm. shot, into a pronounced strength, like a real... The, the mechanics on that slapper that he scored, the mechanics on that wrist shot, this is not a results thing. This is what he's able to do with the puck. It's elite. Elite. Unbelievable stuff. And he did not have that six months ago. No. Yeah. Like, that's wild stuff, man. Just wild. I, I honestly I honestly think people are perhaps so excited about, um, you know, even people who are just, like, very optimistic fans – I think they're so excited about, like, getting dunks in on, like, the Heronic acquisition's actually been good. But the number one thing that has changed for this team is Quinn Hughes has gone up to a level that was that's basically mind-bending. Yeah. And, again, there's no... And that's awesome. Like, that's more fun than Canucks acquire three, four defensemen or, or two, three defensemen who fits well with Hughes... You know, like, I, I really think we're struggling to prioritize or pay attention to what really matters here, which is not 
Canucks blue line is significantly better because of offseason changes, although that's a fair point to make. It, it's that Quinn Hughes has become like unassailably elite. Yeah. One of one of the absolute best players in the league. That's that, that's, that's what it is, right? That's it's wild. Go- he's gone from top ten in his position, no doubt about it, to like top three in the league. And potentially, at least you're gonna, you can make that argument. At his in position ter- or no, total? No, no. Total. That's what I mean. Yeah, I think so. Like, so. In terms of his, the impact he's making, right? Like that, and that is. It doesn't sound like a huge jump, but when you actually think about it, it is a massive to get those extra little bits of marginal improvement uh, at that end of the bell curve, right? Of player distribution, like that's really, really hard to do. That's really hard to do, and it's phenomenal it's that he's been able to do. Honestly, it. it's unthinkable. It's like so rare. It's so rare to be exceptional or great, and then to become the you're the best in your field. Like that's, you know, how many great players do we see come into this league? And you know, hit hit a extraordinary level, but that last step up. Yeah, I mean that's that's you know people talk about it with when you when you're talking about players adding stuff like that. You know, it's like McDavid spending a whole summer after Austin Matthews won the heart and being like, I'm going to come out and score sixty. You know, it's it's Sidney Crosby being like, I'm never going to lose a draw again. Yeah, right. It's Quinn Hughes being like, now I'm one of the best finishers from the blue line in the NHL. Out of nowhere, absolutely nowhere. Well, and I will say, you know, from a from a team building perspective, obviously we see what it means on the ice in terms of the production and the results. But you look at the salary cap sheet, and I know it's only three more years after this one, but I do think we have to look at Quinn Hughes's contract for those three years, like the same way we talked about the McKinnon, McKinnon yep, deal. I agree. The with same you. way we're talking about the Jack Hughes deal, right? Like that is an incredible leg up, even at seven point eight, to have him doing this. At that cap figure is an incredible, incredible leg up in a salary cap. I world. just don't think you'll find a more influential player in the league right now, in terms of in terms of what this team can do when he's on the ice versus what they can do without him on the ice. I, I think he's the most influential player in the league. Uh, we will take a break here. Six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can get your thoughts and questions in. I want to talk a little bit. Uh, about some of the commentary Rick Tockett had about the Elias Pettersson line. Uh, look ahead more to the Sharks game as well tonight. Final segment coming up here. It is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks. Stock here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from the Mobile Kintech studio here at Rogers Arena. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Jan Pro, the leader in commercial cleaning. Keep your workplace safe during this flu season by trusting Jan Pro's EnviroShield disinfection service visit janpro.ca vancouver warriors lacrosse don't miss out on the best show in town for as low as 25 dollars at tickets.vancouverwarriors.com as mentioned of course uh, canucks game day here against the san jose sharks we heard from rick tockett in the last segment and uh, he was asked about kuzmenko and of course that comes on the heels of saying that kuzmenko needs to play a little harder after the game against Seattle. We talked about that a little bit in the first segment, but uh, Taka kind of turned the answer into a commentary generally on that line, the Patterson, Kuzmenko, McKay of line, and I thought it was interesting to hear him really 
zero in on the speed element, the pace element, right? Didn't want to call him slow, but says that line has to push the pace. Maybe they're trying to play a little bit too methodical, can't slow the game down. And I also thought it was interesting to hear him say that Pedersen as an individual, I don't know. I don't think he was trying to say that he was trying to involve Kuzmenko and Mikheyev too much, but maybe taking his cues from them a little too much rather than just going out there and being an individual force. And look, part of Pedersen's genius is he's going to get the best out of his teammates. You don't want to take that part away. But one of the things I've been monitoring this year with Elias Pedersen, and again, this all comes with the massive, massive caveat that he is, what, is he still the NHL's leading scorer or egg, tied for egg it? tied, yeah. yeah. So let's, you know, this is not, <laughs> I'm not saying he hasn't been good at all this year. He's been phenomenal. Uh, only five shots from the kind of inner high danger slot area on the NHL edge site this year through 18 games. That's all strength. Last year he had 73 in 80 games. So almost won a game last year down to 5 and 18 this year. And I think that is kind of a good way of putting some some data behind a lot of the like eye test stuff we're talking about with Pedersen, where it's like, ah, oh, he just doesn't seem to be his usual self. And I think you can see that he's not getting inside. In, he's not getting inside, right? It's been a lot of perimeter play. And Pedersen lives inside. Like, you know, his like skill as a screener, even when he's had a slighter frame, he doesn't anymore. But like back in the day when he was slighter and he was still living in dirty areas of the yeah. ice, like it was admirable. It was actually quite courageous. Well, being able to get inside and get shots from there is a skill. It's also why he draws so many penalties. It's a good point. But it, like that's a huge skill. And when to see that drop off from the level it was at to the level it's at this year, I think that kind of tells you what you need to know. And then I do wonder, you know, how much of the frustration with the coaching staff to Kuzmenko and some fans towards Kuzmenko, although we also have some people sticking up for him and, and defending him from Tockett's commentary in the inbox. But, again, to, like does, Kuzmenko, he's, yes, he scores from the crease, right? Like, that's where, that's where he does a lot of his damage. But does he is he going to be the guy that gets the puck there, right? Like, he, he feasts softly as Patterson getting the puck, and then he taps it in. And it's just, they I think they're missing that element where they can consistently get it into the really high-danger area in front of the net yeah, right now. We've seen occasionally uh, someone brought up the, um, was it Batch who brought up the Islanders game as, like, a really strong yep. game for him? I thought the Ottawa game, despite the team struggling, was, like, a pretty physically assertive game. Yep. Here's the thing about Kuzmenko, right? That everyone needs to bear in mind when he comes up, like, his name comes up on, like, Lady Fortuna's wheel as, like, let's criticize this Canucks player today. Because it's a long season, and this is what happens in this market. Yeah. Um, and, and oftentimes, you know, at Although least I it's warranted. I don't think it's arbitrary in this case, though. No, no. You know no, what it, I mean? Yeah, it's it's just, never arbitrary. Okay. Like, like. When Ty- when it was Tyler Myers' turn earlier in the season, sure, it's not like those it wasn't were- arbitrary. It wasn't arbitrary. <laughs> those bad those plays were- happened. Those were bad plays, right? Yeah. I, you know, when it was Spencer Martin's turn last, you know, the team wasn't getting saves. Like, you know, it- anyway, it's never arbitrary, but it is random. You know, like it-, it comes up when the teams lost a couple, or you know, someone gets blamed, and it's not usually their their fault like right now it's Kuzmenko and Juleson and it's like guys carving a seventh defenseman yeah is is not helpful here um anyway one thing to keep in mind whenever Kuzmenko's turn for this occurs is this is what it looks like to be an offensive generator in the NHL sometimes especially if you're not a superstar level player 
but your like primary job is create offense and do creative stuff and break games open. If you if you get too far ahead on carving Kuzmenko, or if you you know if you're like oh yeah, in in my case anyway, I told you they shouldn't have done that extension. You know, like mm. guess what's gonna happen? Kuzmenko's gonna break gonna a game go, open. Yeah. He's gonna do three things in a single contest that you've never seen on the ice before, and he's gonna have you know a run of. 15 points across nine games. And then thereafter, he's going to have another run of games where the production's not quite there and his two-way form's iffy and he gets benched occasionally and on and on. Like, that's that's what you're kind of signing up for with Kuzmenko. The fact is is that his offensive creativity is something this team needs. And and I think the fact that he's found himself in, self in the crosshairs, um, both of his head coach's discussion but also of this fan base's discussion right now, I think just reflects the fact that this team needs more offense. This team needs more push. This team needs more creativity on the wings. And this is a guy who can do it, who has the skill to do it, and it just hasn't been consistent enough to this point. And this text comes in, which I think is interesting, about just the relationship between Tockett and Kuzmenko. And Tockett had the line uh, talking, you know, hey, sometimes to get your line mates to play faster, maybe go offside a couple times just to to, to uh, promote them. them. Yeah, to yeah. make them play faster. And this text comes in, so tonight Kuzmenko will go offside five times, then get benched, and Rick will say he wasn't playing smart. Rick just seems to not understand Kuz and therefore chooses not to work with them. Uh, I don't think that's fair. No. I mean, and it, this isn't the kind of thing that, like, we don't tweet about it a lot, and it doesn't come up, but, like, I've been at these game day skates. I've been at these practices. Rick Tockett spe- talks to Kuzmenko a lot. A lot. And I think the reason is, and I and I even wonder, and this is just pure kind of psychological speculation, if some of the frustration on Saturday we heard from talking about Kuzmenko was about the fact that he's working with him a lot well, and I maybe can't... not seeing what he wants. But, like, and Tockett has consistently said when he's been asked about Kuzmenko in the past, I really like the player, great kid, we talk about it, we go through this process, he always, like... He's trying to get better. And so I Tockett is working with him. I think he sees the potential there. I don't think you can say that he's not giving him a fair shake. He's not trying to help him develop on these things. Early in the first period, the Canucks had a rush chance, and Kuzmenko sent a spinning pass that was turned over right after they'd gained the offensive blue. Tockett always reacts pretty harshly to that type of turnover in particular because yep. it really damages um, – like, first of all, it's going to result in a relatively high-risk chance the other way, but also it's going to put you in a position where it might take you a shift or two to get back on the front foot. Well, it's what he and, wants He wants to be setting up shop in the offensive zone, and right? Then, and then the icing and the bad line change, right? Who's the right wing furthest from the bench, right, in that position? It's Kuzmenko. Now, I'm not saying that's on Kuzmenko. All three guys need to be reading off each other, right? It's not outrageous for you to assume that the center – sticks in while the wingers change. But in that situation, the last guy to change needs to be the right winger. Yeah. And he wasn't. So, you know, for him, for his ice time to diminish thereafter, uh, you know, based off of those two plays alone on Saturday, I think, I don't think there's a lot of mystery there. There shouldn't be anyway. No. And again, Tockett has been pretty consistent about dropping ice time based on things like that. Right. I mean, we see it with Niels Hoaglander. We've seen it with JT Miller. We've seen it with JT Miller. And I don't think you can look at this and say that he is uh, he's singling Andre Kuzmenko out in any way. And in fact, I think he's 
he has gone out of his way many times speaking about him to give him praise, right? Yeah. And say, hey, we're working on some things, but I love the player. I love the kid. I like working with him, right? So talk, like, there's investment there. There's a lot of investment there. Kuzmenko is going to be a standout reason why this team wins games over the balance of this year. There are going to be a handful of games where Kuzmenko's efforts, like it was in Sunrise, Florida, right, to break a game open makes the difference for this team, right? I'm not worried about Kuzmenko based off of what I expect of him. Where, where I think there may be a gap that emerges over the course of this year is Kuzmenko set such a high bar in that first season, and I think going into this year, people were really looking at him as like a superstar-level player who was without question in a totally different weight class as a contributor than like Besser and Garland. And I, I, I mean, that's always been like well above where I rate him. So, you know, I still think he's additive for the most part to this team and, and will be a helpful piece going forward. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. I think, I think the, I think the criticism of Kuzmenko at least right now exists in this space between expectations and reality. Mm. Uh, Mark in Canada texted in while we're talking about the, uh, the top six in general here. He says, guys, I am thinking the PDG experiment has now expired it's once again obvious that he is just a guy. That line needs a new member in order to stay dangerous. That's from Mark in Canada. And this is an example. This is a case to me because I don't disagree that, like, in an ideal scenario, you, you don't have Phil DiGiuseppe in your top six, let alone really on your de facto first line that's taken all the tough minutes and that you're also counting on to score. But, again, this is a classic scenario where the criticism can't be about the player. Phil DiGiuseppe is, is doing his thing. He's playing well. Like, he's he's – He's playing up to his capability. I'd also add, I don't think his effectiveness on the forecheck as a disruptive defensive piece, puck battle winner, making sure that the puck moves in the right direction, has in any way diminished. Like, I don't think we're seeing a... Like, I think he's been one of the most consistent single Canucks players game in, game out, all season long. And I don't think we're seeing anything different from him in terms of a level of play. Uh, so I, I, I kind of think... reject the notion that he's hit a wall. Well, maybe it's not hitting a wall, but I think... The seams show of the fact that you want you want the higher ceiling. You want a higher ceiling. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's what it is. And I it's like, again, it's not about PDG not getting it done or no. not. Like, you know, what I mean, he's doing his. He's earned this shot and he's making the most of it. But again, you just know also intrinsically that like that's not. It's probably not your long term solution in a in a really key important top six role like that. And I do wonder. You know, like I've liked a lot of what I see from Niels Hoaglander. Now, but you're not going to play Hoaglander in tough. That's the thing, right? But I do wonder, like, is there a shakeup at some point to try to get a little bit more but offensive upside in the top six? For it's whom? a good question. Maybe it, has play, be, maybe it has to be a bigger shakeup where you're you're moving more than you know. It's 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 more complex than just subbing in somebody for uh, for Phil DiGiuseppe. I but, mean, it's got to be Mikheyev. Yeah. Or. You move Mikheyev down, and you move Hoaglander up to Mikheyev's spot. Something like that. Yeah, I don't know, though. They, they, you've got Hoaglander then, and Kuzmenko on the same line. Yeah, and then how much does Tockett trust Pedersen in secondary matchups yeah. with, those with those two, two as guys his wingers? wingers. You know, I, yeah. I, there's no easy solutions here, um, but I think PDG's done well. I think he's totally fine in that spot. I think that line struggles um, are, are concerning, and, and we may reach a point where their usage has to change, where the Canucks have to approach Tufts in a different way. Because mm. for me, it's not about PDG or the upgrade on PDG. It's the fact that, you know, if that line, as currently constituted, can't handle Tufts, 
or can't win against Tufts, which they they haven't won against Tufts of late. But they have at points this season too. So I just think we need to wait and see a little bit more. But if it looks like it has the last 10 games for another five, I'd guess that we start to see a change. And and really the the best guy to throw at that problem in your lineup is probably Ilya McKay. Well, 100% it's Ilya McKay. Especially, especially if Pedersen's at all compromised as a play driver, right? Because he could also be a, a possible answer there. Lotto line could be a possible answer there. But there, yeah. there aren't a lot of like those really stout two-way drivers on this team uh, up front, even though this team has, you know, a really high floor in terms of their volume of like credible NHL the players. Lotto line... Lotto line thing's interesting, man. Well, we're seeing it more. Lotto line was so good. <laughs> Do you remember how good they, they were? They were the best line in hockey. And that and like JT Miller and Elias Patterson have both leveled up since then. They have. I'm I'm don't I mean Pedersen has. But well JT like, Miller in terms of point production. But and I think you not see, not five on five. No, but I think you see a more I, I don't know. I think I, he's I more that. I think he's more comfortable as an offensive player. And, like, you see more of the high-level passing and the high-level skill plays. I thought you saw those with the lotto line. I mean, look, it was he was really good. His, that his, was insane. His five-on-five five impact that season was, like, top ten in the NHL. Like, yeah, no, he was great. I, you can look, make, you're right. You can, you're make, right. You, can make, you can make the argument that that was his best Canucks season in, in from, a like, the 2019-20 season. You can absolutely make the argument that that season was more impressive than his 99-point season um, or even than what he's on pace to do now, at least at five on five. I just think it's fascinating that we're seeing it a little bit here or there, that it's mm-hmm. been starting to get sprinkled in. And it's just, man, it's like it's a tantalizing option to have just kind of fl- as we talk about how do you get a little more offense out? What are these combinations going to look like? And look, well, and what does it mean? I think that's yeah. there's like a really interesting question here, which is why is talking going to it? Like, why is it a break glass in case of emergency option that Tockett keeps? Yeah pulling out of the deck right now and I mean I think it's that he thinks getting his two best players out two together. best forwards out together with you know uh, th- their other best offensive two-way winger um, you know can potentially give this team a jump start uh, I mean I-, I think it's an answer to a problem that we're kind of picking around which is that Vancouver hasn't controlled play consistently enough uh, with their top six forwards on the ice, um, you know, for a period going on like three weeks. Like, it's not a, a blip. It's, at this point, it's becoming a trend. It's it's for more than half the season. Uh, Vancouver's been out-attempted with their top six forwards on the ice now. And I don't think the lotto line becomes something you can go to of any regularity, or let alone, like, even full-time on a, you know, for a, for a game or anything like that. You don't think so? Until Pew Suter is back. Until Pew Suter. Oh, yeah, sure. Because you need the three other centers in yeah. the lineup, right? So I think it's uh, – and then, and Although then, I guess, look, if you really wanted to, I mean, then you could – I was going to say you could call up, you know, Neil Zaman right now or something and get him playing fourth no, line no, center. No, no. But then you've got Teddy Bluger in your top and, six. And you're interfering with his, you know, Pew Suter's – or sorry, um, Neil Zaman's, like, scoring a lot. Yeah. You you know he's having a great run. What you're hoping for is when Neil Zaman comes up, he's able to like see the way to drive the play into the interior <laughs> on offensive zone position uh, possessions instead of just going back up to the D uh, and holding it down low the way we saw last season. And I hopefully has added some ticks to his faceoff clip because if he can do both of those things, then you've got a full time player in a totally different way. But yeah, I think you know with with Pew Suter's back and healthy at some point and like. You know, you're down a goal going into the third period. Is it 
go lotto line for that third period. Like, I think that's I think that would be really interesting. I think that's something uh, that would be worth trying out at some point. Here. Yeah, but if if the Miller lines five on five form doesn't, doesn't bounce back. back, or if this Pedersen line doesn't get back to driving play the way they did all last season, right? Yeah. Like that that line was super consistent last season in terms of just demolishing opponents. It hasn't been this year five on five, but you know, ten games from now, like this is why we this is why we like to wait. This is why I like to wait thirty games because in twelve games we're gonna know so much more, right? And if this top six issue that we're poking at today, yeah, it could disappear. It could be completely. It gone could. Right it there. could. You know, it could be a blip, yeah. right? And and just as likely, it's a blip as the Canucks, you know, being undefeatable <laughs> for for three weeks, you know, was a blip, right? Like this might be too. We'll always have those three weeks. Well, three I, incredible weeks. I mean, it may extend. Yeah. Like, we're not this well, – I'm still I'm still on Team Whale, Team Good. I don't know that there will be another emotional high. And this is not a criticism at all because it was just such a, like, perfect moment as Quinn Hughes scoring the overtime winner against Bo Horvat and the Islanders for the team to win their 10th of, of their last 12 and all three of them to be the league <laughs> the leading scorers in the NHL. Like, that is just so – I don't I mean, I don't know it, how you top it, that. It was incredible. Season. It was incredible. But I still think the peak of it was the Oilers win. The 6-2 Oilers the win? Two, the second Oilers yes, win that was, on home ice. That so was the, the third Oilers win. That's the other argument for the peak that, of that, the start. That was just like, oh my goodness. Everything's going yep. right. The, yep. Oilers the Oilers are, are crumbling. crumbling. The Canucks are going east. They're going to... That was yeah, like that's true. That that's was true. like the moment that my mentions anyway started like really heating up with people being like, "We demand accountability. This team's a contender." It's like, yeah, okay. We demand accountability. <laughs> sure. All right. Good luck with that. <laughs> you keep demanding. No, I'm, I'm. I try. I try to be accountable. Uh-huh. Uh, no, uh, it's just a funny word to use. Anyways, uh, this text comes in final few minutes here of the show. Can you please discuss physicality? I thought the plan was to be hard to play against. If you can't out-hit your opponents at home when hosting a team from down the highway, if not then, then when? I was at the game on Saturday night. I think we need to hit more. Look, I think Tockett <laughs> would probably agree with the texter. I think Tockett would love to have a more physical team. Sure. It's just I don't think it's in the cards with I mean, this team. I mean, I think you should try and have the puck more. Yeah, but uh, look, the texter describing it in terms of like number of hits. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he's – I agree with you on that point. I don't think he's wrong about – Overall increase in physicality. No. You know but, what I mean? But did you think they got pushed around by the Kraken? I didn't. No, I wouldn't say it was like a Seattle specific game. No, but I, as I we just talk- don't think they I just don't think they got pushed around. Like I don't think the Kraken were even like more inside than them. I don't think the I don't think Brandon Tanev was like running around drilling like there's nothing there was nothing there. Um but as we talk about, you know, you made the joke about cloning JT Miller in the first segment, and like, yeah, that's one of the reasons that he fits perfectly, like what I have in my mind's eye as one of the missing pieces is because you want a really high-level skilled player as that third elite forward, but you kind of also want them to have some bite, right? Like you you want them to have that, and JT Miller's pretty unique in that way. Tom he does Wilson. have that bite. Tom I'm just not, kidding. Not elite. Not elite enough. No. He's one of one, baby. He's, he is, but like. He's one of one. Certainly physical. Yeah. He's I'm- certainly physical. That team's actually playing better, though. They like they're good, dude. No, I wrote no, them off. I don't think they're good. I don't know if they're actually I wrote good, them off. but like I completely wrote them off. I were like, oh, this is gonna be a bottom five team. They've rattled off a ton of wins since then. It's it's unreal. Eight points in fifteen games. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I doesn't mean like I'm not saying he's a bad player, but he's not like the the elite top six guy that you're bringing in at this point. Eh. I was kind of hoping, and this has really gone by the wayside, but my like 
pipe dream was uh, if the penguins slid that Jake Gensel was on on the market. But oh, that's penguins! Penguins are actually good. That's not happening. Yeah, that the penguins. The good. penguins are good, and that is uh, that is definitely not going to happen. This one says uh, they didn't get pushed around, but they didn't do any pushing. Yeah, I, I mean that's a fair way to put I, it. Totally, that's a fair way to put most of the games. But the fact is, is that this Canucks team. Like, the, the problem with Seattle was it felt like they could play 180 minutes on Saturday and the Canucks would need something wildly special from Quinn Hughes to score five on five. Mm. They weren't able to draw enough pe- power plays, and guess what? Like, Sometimes that happens. Well, yeah. I First of all, Canucks fans saw a million penalties that I didn't. But secondly, as you get further away from October, the whistles get harder and harder to draw, even for a team that has Garland, Friedman, Elias Patterson and a bunch of other guys who drive penalty differential. It's why if you can't score five on five, right, you limit your margin, right? Like your margin for error becomes thinner and thinner and you become more reliant on things outside your control, like when the whistles uh, get blown and when the arms get raised by the officials. So that's why the five on five offense side, the, the out shooting, the territorial play of the top six is such a concern for me, even as I remain firmly entrenched on on whale team good team (laughs) uh we will we will wrap it up on whale team good to finish the show today enjoy the game against the sharks tonight we are back tomorrow here for more canucks talk on sportsnet 650